Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Ruger, Rugged, Reliable Firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callingest Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Taurus, maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Weissick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next installment of DSC's Campfires. You know, our campfire takes us to a lot of different places, and it just happens to be an evening at the end of a pronghorn antelope hunt on Mr. John Eason's place over in Socorro County, New Mexico. We had a, a gentleman that hunted with us today, Mr. Doug Deutschman, who is uh, with the Hatata Ranch. This particular hunt was sold at the DSC Foundation Gallup in July of 2021, and Trevor Allberg bought the hunt, and as it works out, uh, uh, Mr. Doug works for Trevor, and he kindly gave him the opportunity to come out here and to hunt the pronghorn antelope here in uh, New Mexico. And I'm sitting around the campfire tonight. Doug had to leave this morning, but uh, we've got Mr. John Eason, who's uh, the owner here on the ranch and also an owner farther south. You may remember Mr. John from in the past when we had a, a mule deer hunt that we talked about a little bit with Luke Clayton and Jeff Rice back during the uh, January, February time. And then got Mr. Jeremiah Bennett with us as well, too. Jeremiah is an absolutely fabulous cameraman, artist, all those other kind of good things. And and uh, the show that we were here for was to film for, rather, for uh Trigicon's World of Sports Field. That's done by done by Safari Classics. So, gentlemen, it's good to be back with y'all here, and uh, we had kind of an interesting hunt today, didn't we? It was a it was a trip. Start, started out kind of rough. The wind wasn't wind wasn't playing very fair. Twelve fifteen mile an hour crosswinds and antelope were in a, a pocket that was hard to get to and ended up having to take a 465 yard shot that uh, I like to get closer but it 
We weren't getting any close. We weren't getting any close. No, they were in, they were in no man's land. No, they, they really were. They're out in the middle of absolute nowhere. Were there three of us out there? I, I was off in the background watching you guys yeah. and where those antelope were. Uh, we had a little old bull snake that we found here close to the house digging a hole. And he was about to ride, she was about to ride high to crawl through some of that stuff. And even there were some places there, I think she might have had a little bit of a problem not being seen. Single A single hunter is one thing, two, two is another, and three is just tough <laughs> on antelope, you know. It, it it really is. This this particular ranch is a fair size ranch and a lot of acres and and uh, started out about three days ago and when we got here and had, it was a three day hunt. The thing about New Mexico is, is you can choose three days to hunt for your on your license through a given set of, of dates, like from maybe October the first through the thirtieth. Don't quote me on those because I'm not real sure on the dates, but you can select three days that you can hunt consecutively and, and that's your hunt. As it worked out, we were here kind of was a seventh, eighth, ninth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, somewhere along it through there. I can't remember the exact dates right now. I don't now. keep up with what seventh, the eighth, week it is. Yeah, yeah. Seven, the hunt, the hunt date started on the seventh. Seven, so it was yeah. seven, eight, day and, and seven, eight, nine, and <clears throat> yeah. And uh, Doug had never previously hunted antelope, which was really kind of fun in the fact of having somebody with us that had never. Hunted antelope and, and uh, it, it's an experience. They've got some absolutely fantastic eyesight and they know the land and and uh, it, it, we had a fair number the first day that we got onto and of course Doug decided to pass on the buck that he right. eventually we continued to hunt for. Have I ever told you how much I love antelope hunting? By the way, <laughs> I not on, not on the podcast, it. but I, I recall sometime during the last three days uh, numerous references to yeah. uh, hunting pronghorn antelope, particularly on camera. Yeah, they can be so frustratingly hard and difficult. You know, they they just really can. It's just extremely hard to get up on them. I mean, they've got virtually almost 360 degree eyesight that's unreal an eagle has nothing on them as far as seeing things and if you if you can get within 200 yards you've done something really especially out in this country where it's so wide open you're exactly right again there there are places that i've hunted antelope where you had little little like little draws that you could get around in or maybe use you know, clumps of tall grass or something like that, or toy here. And there's some of that here, but where these antelope were that y'all were hunting the last three days, there wasn't a whole lot of cover out no. there much bigger than what that little little mm. snake could crawl through. No. If it hadn't been for the decoys, getting in behind the decoys and, and slipping in and... Uh, Mr. John, tell us a little bit about the decoys. You, you carry two decoys when we've been hunting. I've got I got two I got Bessie Macau decoy I call her Bessie. She's been very productive over the years. And uh, Annie the antelope <laughs> that uh, I use in conjunction with each other. I'll I'll walk in a ways with one, then I'll pop up the antelope umbrella and and uh, get their attention with it. It uh, it piques their interest and. A lot of times it works, sometimes it don't. This one particular bunch, it worked great the first day when we got on. We got in within 189 yards and uh, decided not to take him, see if we could maybe do a little bit better. And uh, 
then the next day we tried tried to get back on them again, and I think what we were three hundred yards. Yeah, <clears throat> three hundred sixty yeah, yards, something yeah. like that. And then they but <clears throat> excuse me, had a couple of old does that busted us and took off running, and everybody else decided took to follow her. Yeah, I think it was that. I think it was the total of the six legs. I think maybe antelope can count. By golly, you know, yeah. you, you talk to people who, who've done research on them, and they tell you that basically the antelope has got the same eyesight that we do, aided by an eight-power binocular. And you think about that, and they're very quick about picking up movement or anything that's strange because they seem to know that habitat so well that if there's the slightest change here. They pick up on it, and the next thing you know, you see that hair kind of flare up, and pay out, and they're gone kind of thing. I tell all my hunters, I said, you know, one thing about it, when you see that antelope, you can bet one of them's done seen you. They're, they're, pretty much 100% of the time. Yes, sir. Again, their, their eyesight, as you mentioned, they can essentially see almost 360 degrees, and their eyesight is so fantastic. that They do have ears. They do have a nose. But they don't really pay a whole lot of attention comparatively to what they see. Right. It's, I mean, the antelope, too, is, is a true success story. You go back, not that terribly long ago, back in the late 1800s, and a lot of antelope had no longer there. I mean, one time the antelope pretty much ranged all over the, the Plains states and, and uh, up into Canada and down into Mexico and through various very different uh, problems that in, included, uh, you know, habitat destruction. It got down to a very small number, and it was at that point some of the landowners and a few hunters basically got together. So we got to do something about this, and they brought the antelope back. And it is one of those truly great success stories when it comes to wildlife conservation, including here in New Mexico. We we generally we have a lot a lot of antelope around this area, Socorro County being the number one in the state for Boone and Crockett antelope. Yes, and, sir. Uh, this year has been extremely dry and uh it, they're here but they're just not in the numbers they've moved up and into the areas where there was more rain yes sir antelope travel a tremendous amount of territory they really do and that's what people don't realize sometimes is that you you mentioned the rain they can see they can smell that rain and when it rains in a certain area so very often that's where they go to knowing that you know fresh grass and weeds are going to be coming up there this is this ranch too has been it, it's well watered, which one of the things that I I noticed that y'all rotate your cattle on as well rotate too. But even in those pastures where you've already rotated cattle out of, you still got water there. Still got water. We keep watering all of our pastures all the time, and like I say, we rotate the cattle. And one thing we don't do here is we don't run any more cattle in the best of times than what we can run in the worst of times. Therefore, we don't have to feed a lot. Virtually nothing. We, we uh, lot, a lot of the ranchers run into problems. They run out of grass. They get too many cattle, and then it gets dry, and then they have no grass, or it gets bad winter, and there's no yeah. grass, and they got to feed. Well, <clears throat> all your profits down the drain that way. So yeah. we don't do that. Well, I noticed the cows that we looked at. You, they look like they've been in the feedlot. Oh, they I'm look talking, good. I'm they talking sweat. about cows with calves at their side <clears throat> kind of thing, too. Well, the, well, pretty, most, most of those cows got a five, 600-pound calf on their side right now, and they're just butterball rolling a dozen eggs down their back without <laughs> losing one. 
<laughs> well, having Doug in camp, I, I, I'm sorry that he's not here tonight to uh, tell us, you know, his version of the story of how everything came together. But uh, that's one of the great things that happened here. John, thank you and your family so very much for donating the hunt which was donated to the DSC Foundation Gala, which we sold. And I think it brought like in excess of ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000, something like that for the opportunity to come out here and hunt. And all that money that uh, essentially will go to other conservation projects. I mean, through the DSC Foundation, we get a lot of grant requests from Oh, different organizations, including like the Mule Deer Foundation and Texas Wildlife Association and other organizations do a lot of work in terms of making sure that uh, we have some education in terms of what animals are required, what they require, and then actually doing the work, but also in terms of youth and, and uh, adult hunting kind of programs that are going on. But we also do a lot of stuff elsewhere. But again, the as Tim Fallon, our president, has often said, the uh, president of the DSC Foundation is our job is to raise money so we can give away more money so we can raise more money kind of thing. Because all these projects we do are extremely vetted. I mean, they come in and they make a request for a certain amount of dollars. And we go, we go through them like a fine-tooth comb to decide which, is gonna, which ones we actually will provide money to. And then they have to report to us how that money is used to. Otherwise, chances are if they don't, they ain't going to get any more in the future kind of thing. So guys like you, particularly with the, the donations of, of the hunts, are so very important in terms of raising the money so that we can do some really good work. And I mentioned the Mule Deer Foundation. I think we issued maybe three or four grants this year to the Mule Deer Foundation of very worthwhile projects that they're done in terms of because mule deer is kind of, I know you like mule deer because I've been down there in your place in, in western Texas. And, uh, you know, they, they've kind of taken it on the chin a little bit in different ways. So there's so many things going on with the Mule Deer Foundation that we feel like we can support in their efforts. Yeah, we we manage our, our mule deer down there and the whitetail herds pretty hard. We probably don't take as near as many deer as we could, but manage them hard the last few years been rough on the mule deer for some reason and i just i haven't let any of the hunters take any does at all right yes sir just because i want to keep the keep the numbers going and uh yes sir I, like you mentioned that years ago we tried to we've been here in texas we tried to uh, manage mule deer like we did whitetail and we found out very quickly that the, your reproductive rates in most whitetail does and they're on a good nutritional diet doe fawn 80% or more will breed as six month old doe fawn most mule deer does do not breed until they're at least two and a half years of age and so if you start putting a whole lot of pressure on mule deer does you can knock that population down to nothing in a, in a relatively short period of time and we, you know, here here at ranch here in New Mexico, uh, we manage it pretty hard too. We could get more tags and stuff for the property, but I just don't take just a limited number every year. To, yes, sir. I just don't do it any other way. Well, to me, doing it that way, you're always <clears throat> going to have mature animals in the herd, and. You know, you, you hear a lot of people talk about, to me, big horns, whether they're on a mule deer or big antlers on a whitetail or a mule deer or an elk, those antlers and horns are a reflection of the health of that population. And so when you start producing 
a fair number of, of big mature bucks, particularly once they start getting some age on. It just tells me that somebody's doing things right in, in terms of making sure there's plenty for them to eat. And what you, you mentioned earlier is that you keep your cow level at what it can support this here range here at the worst of times, not right. the best of times. Right. And that's, that's really kind of the way to, to do some of the population, particularly with whitetail as well, where you have these high peaks and lows of, of, uh, of rainfall or lack of rainfall. Well, and, and you know, down at, down at the ranch there in Texas with the deer, the same as here, we've got good water scattered all over the ranch, and uh, we feed them. We feed a lot of protein, up, up to about 45 tons of protein feed a year, <laughs> just the deer alone. Wow. And plus corn, they'll they'll get close to that same amount of corn year every year. Yes, sir. And uh, we manage it pretty hard. We try to do, and if you remember, it's been back uh, nine, ten years ago when I first met you at, at a Mule Deer Foundation banquet. I yes, sir. Got you cornered up and was trying to pick your brain, and you were gracious enough to answer my questions that I had, being you know fairly new to management programs like that and see what I needed to do to try to make everything better. And uh, that's how our friendship began. And, and you started telling me what you were doing and the results that you had with what you were doing and what did I tell you to do? <laughs> you told me don't change a hmm thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I thought then, and, and then, you know, having been to the ranch a couple times, I, I feel exactly the same way. I mean, what you've done on that property, and, and the property we're on right here is is flat, rolling pinion junipers, uh, yes, Choya lots campus. of toya, but also a lot of grandma grass, lots of grandma grass. So you've got a, a, a pretty darn good variant, and it's absolutely beautiful ranch. And you don't see grandma grass much taller than what it is running around here no, right sir. now. Some no, of us no, knee, no, knee deep. Right, and, and particularly not with cattle on it. I right. Mean, but you, we've got our fallow pastures that nothing's on right yes, now, and, and, and grass is knee deep in there. And this, this high desert country is, if you look at a lot of the ranches around us, you can, they're it, not there, like that. There's like a fence line fault because you can look down the fence line, and on one side, things look really good, and on the other side, uh, not so good. Not so good. <laughs> it's management. I mean, you know, it, it's that's the way my brother and I, that uh, our parents, a couple years now, turned everything over to us, and uh, of course we've been doing it for a long time. Oh, yes, and, right. And uh, my brother and I continue to do it, and not going to change it right now. No. no, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It ain't broke. <laughs> it ain't broke. Jeremiah, you, you film a lot. You, you you film with so many different people all over the world. No, you, you alluded to the fact about how much you love hunting pronghorn antelope with a camera and a hunter. <laughs> and you were a little bit. What, 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 what are you talking about there? Uh, well, I've done a fair number of uh, filmed antelope hunts, and they've always been... Uh, rifle hunts and spot right. and stalk and man they're just so wary they're so <laughs> wary and, and they're it's I mean it's frustrating you know because for for television you really I mean you really do like to have 
that footage that's say two hundred yards and in. Right. You know? Two hundred yards or close. But right. so many times it all goes to pot at four hundred plus yards. You know? I mean, you can get within like you know, today, this morning, we were four hundred and sixty five yards and there was there was no way we were getting closer. Yeah. No way. And so you know, you're filming for television and these things look like fleas on the viewfinder, you know, but it's all you got. Right. It's all you got. What do, what do you do? So you, you, you do the best you can with the situation that you got. And well, you I know. got you the 189 one time. I mean, well, hey, hey I, John, you, got the, you got the number one guide in Plants, New Mexico. <laughs> John, I may be the only one, but you know, what's going to say? John, I, I know. I know, and and that's very likely could be very likely the same buck that we took this morning. I'm convinced it was. <clears throat> we had him at 189 yards, right? Right. 189. 189. But you know, I mean, we caught back up with him again, and uh, well, we we, we started we him, started a mile away. Yeah, I know. And walked into 189 yards. I I decided to hang back because there was no need for four people to go. You know, we had Doug, had you, Mr. John, and you, you know, to, to, to film it. There wasn't any reason to have a fourth person there to complicate matters. Less is more. And, Less and, is always more. Uh, it, it, Jeremy, I think the whole thing was that was that mile from where we were sitting looking at them to down there where they were at that he didn't want to walk. <laughs> Me? No, him. Oh. Uncle that, that's Larry. Why he stayed, that's why he stayed and kept the buggy tied down where it didn't blow away off top of the head. Protect the buggy by God. Hold down, down the down, fort. You know, just in case. Had to hold down the fort. Well, he'd have had to hold it down to the ground today. <laughs> today because the wind is howling. It was, Thank it, goodness we got it done this morning. Totally agree. This afternoon. But, but I'll tell you where I was going with that. It yeah. was absolutely fantastic to watch y'all do that stock and to play with you playing with alternating with the cow and the the antelope because in looking through the spotting scope that I look there are times I thought y'all were 25 yards away from I, I thought the animal, but it was just that perspective of you know from yeah. where I was the compression the magnification and the compression thereof but I mean y'all that buck came running to y'all for a little bit so yeah he saw that he saw that decoy yes and here he came yeah he, he was coming I mean, it looked like y'all had him on a string there for a little bit. No, I was really surprised when when Doug didn't shoot because it, it is really nice antelope. But again, with all due respect, you know, Doug's not had the opportunity to hunt pronghorn before. Yeah. And uh, after this trip, you know, good Lord willing, he'll go on another pronghorn hunt. I think he'll look at pronghorn a little bit differently, maybe than what he did coming into this thing. Well, I've uh, I, I've done a lot of spot and stalk hunting filming. You know, in uh, all over, you know, all over the United States and other countries too, and it it seems that there's always um, you've got enough cover you can work around. Yeah, but it just never seems to work that way with antelope, and that's why I just love antelope hunting so much i love it hey, did, did i tell you we're gonna do the whole series of nothing but pronghorn hunting next year oh god 
<laughs> no, I don't. I don't see that happening, quite frankly, because it is so very tough to get footage. I mean, if you're gonna bow hunt and you're sitting in a in yeah in a tent line on a water know, hole or something, thing, that's one but, uh, and that's one way to hunt them as well too. But mm-hmm. to me, the fun actually comes in and the frustration as well too. I'll tell obviously, you, I'll tell you what, this ranch here had so much water that it's that that would have been a yeah a tough. I mean, that would have been a tough decision to make to sit. Exactly. Water because they just they had water any direction they wanted to yeah, go. Yeah, and here with the New Mexico system, you can pick three days to hunt. And that's it. And the three days that you sit on a water hole, they may be going to the one half a mile away or a mile away right. or two miles away, yeah, kind right. of thing. And so to do it that way, we we did it the best way that we could, as far as I'm concerned. And, and of course, but we had fun. we had some rain last night, so there's some of these dirt tanks. <laughs> that have a little bit of water just, in them just little, and it don't take much no i mean I, i've watched like deer and mule or white-tailed mule deer and even pronghorn antelope drink out of a, a cow track with water in it a whole lot better and more often than they would in a freestanding water trough over the site although they will go there but see like <clears> if there's the slightest little mud hole that's where they hit first well there where i live in texas i feed the deer out my front yard every afternoon and i'll have anywhere from 30 to 50 deer in my yard every afternoon and i've got three water tubs out there that i keep full for oh yes sir but we get a rain there's a little dirt tank over at the corner of my yard over there and they'll drink out of that before they'll touch those water tubs and it's muddy and everything else but they'll drink that first that's i guess it's just an innate thing that you know that's what you know i I think i think uh, that with those mud puddles like that there's a lot of mineral nutrients that wash in yes sir i mean that's yes sir that's just my theory. I'm definitely no biologist or I, I've scientist. I've you're nothing. exactly right. That it, when we were on your property, there was an area, too, that you showed me with kind of a mineral outcropping. It's a natural. And those deer were coming in. I mean, everything on your property seemed to come into that area. Come, come to that area, and they just eat the dirt. Right. I mean, just eat dirt. I don't know what kind of mineral there of. Never done any kind of soil sample on it to see what might pop up, but there's something in that, and it's a spot that's 10, 15 foot across, circle. Yes, sir. And I don't know what's there, but they Whatever love it. it is, they like it. They it, like it. Evidently, and deer and deer and antelope particularly, but deer like the mule deer and whitetail there, they have an innate ability to determine what they need and what's good for them. And so whatever is there, whether it's a trace mineral, whether it's a salt and trace mineral combination or something else we don't even know about, it was amazing the tracks. And you could actually see where they had scooped it up with, you know, with, kind of licked the ground kind of thing. I had biologists out here in New Mexico, state biologists, when we first moved out here, I was asking about putting out some blocks and stuff for the antelope. And no, they won't eat them. Well, I put them out anyway. And I tell you what, when they get through eating the sulfur blocks with salt in them, <laughs> they'll dig a hole two or three foot deep, eating the soil that's under there where the where it has melted. Yeah, it's into the soil. <clears throat> and they told me, no, they won't do that. Well, I beg to differ. I know, I know they will do it. And I know they will too. But for years and years, they were saying, "Oh no, 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 no!" And not putting out any of that stuff's not going to help anything. Well, it does. Yeah, in, in ranch in Texas, we we put out a two hundred pound protein block during the winter for goats and sheep that we have, and 
I've seen mule deer just camp out and lay down right there beside them. And <laughs> Absolutely, yes, they'll, sir. They'll eat them. They'll go lay down over and get up in a little while and eat some more. Whitetail, not so much. They do eat it, but we keep uh, salt mineral out, a, a mineral and mixing salt. Right, yes, sir. Mix a 50-50 ratio, but I use diamaceous earth in it to worm the sheep and the goats. And the deer eat the fool out of it. And I bet it does the exact same thing. It does. With those. It's got to. Because I know that deer that Luke Clayton shot when we were there, which was a nice mule deer, but I mean, he was absolutely in great shape. And uh, I love to dig through and the guts and inches, puddle inches and, of fat. <laughs> you know, and, and check for parasites and all those kind of things. That, that deer, there was not a sign of any kind of internal parasites and, and no external parasites. No, and he had an inch or better back fat on Yes, sir, he did. I mean, it, you, it literally had an inch and a half or better on that backside. Wow. All across his top and the ribs and everything. Wow. Inside kidney fat just Yeah, you couldn't watched. see the kidney. It was just totally closed. Wow. Same thing with the mesenteric fat inside. Wow. I mean, so those deer down there are just absolutely in, in, in fantastic shape. Uh, and we're coming down, Jeremiah and I'll be there. Uh, we're doing this about the, what is, we mentioned the 9th, it's like the 9th or the 10th of September when we're recording this. We'll be down there about uh, of October, not September. Uh, it's October 9th, 10th or whatever it is. But we'll be down there, I think, like the 12th or 13th or something we'll like that in November. November, yeah. And uh, Jeremiah, you're in for a treat, I'm telling you. I've been on lots of ranches all over South Texas, all over the uh, western part of the state, and Transpecos, and of course all over the world when you get right down to it. But that place that Mr. John has is that's that's one of my favorite places I've ever been to. Well, it, it's just an ideal layout as far as terrain, as far as habitat, as far as vegetation, as far as the history on that place. I mean, it is you, you find fossils all up and down around. There are campgrounds from the ancients that were there from how far back i've got points that i've picked up and knife blades uh flint knife blades right i've had dated eight to twelve thousand years old yeah so it's one of those places and there's a lot of camps there and evidently those people of many many years ago felt the same way as, as what we do and i know you love that place too yeah, I've, I've found literally hundreds of campsites and i've got eight or ten or twelve caves that i found that yes, they sir. used it is i mean it, you're gonna love it man i'm gonna be walking around looking at the ground the whole time <laughs> but, i mean no you've told me a lot about this place i'm really excited to see it it sounds like a really beautiful beautiful ranch but uh i'm just more pumped up about all these antelope hunts that you got <laughs> scheduled for us. Well, How many did you say we had again? 87. <laughs> Love it. Love it. You want to call Dave now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I dearly love hunting pronghorn antelope too, but I, uh, I don't really see another pronghorn antelope hunt in my near future because I really want to concentrate on some of the mule deer and the whitetail things. And, and uh, Me too. <laughs> And particularly there on uh, Mr. John's place because yeah. we were out there when I was there before. I noticed he was looking. I'd already found some campgrounds where we were driving in. You, know, you could see the campfires and all this kind of stuff from years past. And 
Then we he and I asked Mr. John and I got out, and he looking at Flint, and I noticed the next thing I'm doing, I forgot everything that was out beyond about three or four feet from that yeah. ATV that we were in, because I was looking at the ground yeah. for Flint. I probably will, too. Stuff. I probably will, too. Well, it's funny. We were riding along in the, in the Ranger, and I saw something shining, and I stopped and backed up. He said, what do you see? I, I got up and picked it up. I said, I thought it was an airhead, but it's not just a chunk of flint. And I threw it down, pulled up about 10 foot. And I said, but this one's not. This one's an airhead. <laughs> That's awesome. And then from then on, he couldn't do nothing but watch uh, the ground yeah, for airheads. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Over the years, when he used to South Texas, down that old brush country, there are a lot of artifacts down in through there as well, too. And I'd, I'd be hunting deer, and I'd look down. All of a sudden, I'd find an airhead or a broken point, you know, and... Uh, no telling how many big deer I walked up over the top of, chased out. Cause I was looking at the ground instead of looking where I was supposed Blew them plumb out of the country. I'm sure I did, by golly. But oh, and I'm driving all the time. I'm not looking where I'm going. I'm looking down at the ground. <laughs> you know, just... And I find a lot of them are laying alongside the roads yes, on the ranch. Just yes, sir. Be running along 15, 20 miles an hour, slam on brakes, back up, and pick it up. Yeah. I've yeah. got tubs full of them. Uh, to me, that that is so much fun. I mean, I, I love to find an airpoint and you know try to imagine who what the guy was that made it or who he was and you know some of his thoughts and all those kind of things. What he killed with it? Yeah, what he yeah what did he kill with it? You know, yeah. it's just and and at one time all that country there were still some uh, there were elk in there at one time and there were uh, bl- quite a few black bear and the the. Uh, the buffalo range down that far as well, too, from time to time. And so, well, you know, yesterday we walked up on the big Cedar Ridge. We didn't find any airheads, but you did find some pottery up there. From oh, yes, the, sir. You bet. From the Pueblo Indians, the uh, Anasazis. Yeah, they're, I mean, all this New Mexico country that we're in, uh, I've hunted a lot of times. You'll find a little point that runs out over a kind of a fairly open area, and a lot of times there'll be pottery or there'll be a campground up there on, on top. And... You wonder where did the water come from, but like on that, where you talking about, there was a look like a little rill or something like that, and I'd be willing to bet at one time there was a spring there. You know, as we've increased the human population and pulled so much water out of the ground for, including for farming, but particularly for human consumption, that water table has dropped considerably over so many areas, and so now these areas that but uh, look like they never had any water. There's probably a well, seat for a spring. I, I, back in the 30s, Clunch, uh, where we're located, Clunch, New Mexico, in the middle of nowhere, was the pinto bean capital of the world, they say. They called it pinto he, bean he capital. You told me that. And we, when we drove up, Jeremiah and I met there at the post office, which is not much of a, but there's some older buildings there that were just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And we were wondering what, you know, what brought folks to this area right here? And then you mentioned that. And, and then what happened? Yeah. Because it's all abandoned. Yeah, I mean, and people still eat pinto beans, or I don't know, we do at our house. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I've heard that uh, when they, back in the 30s when they first started with a nuclear testing program that they detonated a bomb over at Alamogordo at the White Sands Missile Range and everything went downhill from there. That's very likely. And Because uh, we're not that far from the Mescalera, I mean from the, uh, well not for, that far from the Mescalera Patch Reservation where we were last week kind of thing, but particularly at White Sands, we're not that far Suppose away. Suppose Lane Karen. Small nuclear mm-hmm. 
bomb that crashed right over here on the Chupadera Mesa, which is just right there. Yes, just a mile, a mile and a half, two miles from us right, right. here. Yes, sir. And hmm. uh, I've, some of the old timers around here have told me about it, which there's not very many of them left there. What are, what are you telling me, John? Am I about to grow a tail? Possibly. Or <laughs> that's why I told that's why I told you don't drink the water out here. Or a third eyeball. Not to drink the water. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right, Johnson. He said, Y'all the water here is good to take a bath in and you know, wash dishes in, but I don't think you want to drink it while you're here. <laughs> It's kind of bitter. Have you tasted it? No, I have not tasted it. I've rinsed my mouth out with it. It's bitter. It's uh, it's, it's so so much calcium in it. It's unbelievable. It it plugs up the water lines to the. Just, you just got a, if you got a, a water valve where you can turn your water off going to any of our water tanks, we've got valves all over to shut it down if we need to repair it. And those valves will get clogged up, and then you got to go down four foot deep and dig a big hole out to get down in there and cut that valve out, mm-hmm. and it's literally oh just completely yeah. calcified, and it's hard as a rock. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's not good drinking water. No. <laughs> not real good bathing water. Well, I noticed it was a little tough to get any kind of soap action going there. That's why I use the liquid soap, because you can wear a bar of soap out in about five minutes. Yes, sir. And still not getting lather. Still not getting lather. <laughs> but that's one of the few negative things. Even if you call that a negative thing, I won't call it a negative. It's not a negative thing. <clears throat> Man, it's so dusty out here. We every day we came in and it, we just our, our necks, our faces were just covered with dust. And, and I, I scooped out a half an acre of dirt out of my ear. You know, today. Doesn't yeah. t- doesn't take long to get that way either. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Today, of course, the wind's been whipping like crazy. We got a little cold front coming in, and the wind out of the south is just being pulled up that way. And I assume tomorrow morning we get up and when Jeremiah and I've got to leave to go on to another hunt, we'll probably having the same kind of thing, but from the north this time. Yeah, it's supposed to supposed to cool down some, but and it's actually warmer this year than what it normally is. Normally, we're down in. 30s and yes, having frost every morning. We get ready to go, and mm. that's kind of nice too. Yeah, I mean, I love that cold weather kind of situation like that. Well, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to uh, starting our campfire up with this conversation again in about a month down at uh, close to Iran. And Mr. John, thank you so very much for your contribution to the DSC Foundation hey, and it was my brother hosting the hunt and hosting us. It was my brother Jeff's and I. I was pleasure to be able to help out. Well, next time we get together down there, we'll bring Mr. Jeff in on a little bit of a conversation as well, too. We'll do that. He's quite a character as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so very much for being with us. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, DSC, you can go to www.biggame.org. If you want to learn more about the DSC Foundation, you can go to that website or you can go to dscf.org as well, too. And Mr. John, I know you, you do some hunts uh, for mule deer and whitetail, particularly farther south, and occasionally they have some permits left here from that are not already spoken for. How does somebody get in touch with you if they want to try to book a hunt for uh, for themselves or a family member or, you know, maybe two or three buddies coming together on a hunt? 
I, my email address is jweason, that's E-A-S-O-N, the number three, at hotmail.com. Or my cell phone number is area code 863-781-1254. That phone number one more time? Area code 863-781-1254. I can promise you this. If you book a hunt with Mr. Eastland or through the Eastland family, you're going to have an absolutely fantastic time and great, great people, fabulous country, and um, just can't say enough good things about these guys or their hunting operations. So we'll try to reconvene this particular group here in about a month. And in the meantime, y'all have an absolutely great time. We're into the fall hunting seasons now. Let us know how you're doing. You can always get in touch with me at uh, Larry Wysoon Outdoors on Instagram or Larry Wysoon Outdoors Facebook page as well too and then send us a photograph or two of what you've taken and you know let us know what you're looking for we'll do our best to accommodate to tell you a story and uh, try to tell you even maybe tell you the truth every once in a while so (laughs) y'all join us right back here for dsc's campfires next week leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry wysoon outdoors Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfire. DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. TRHP Outdoors. Can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voight, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air, for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.